Happy Mother's Day to those of you who are mothers, grandmothers, grandmothers-to-be, oh boy, uh, aunts, unc- I mean aunts, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm happy to see you and happy to share the word with you this morning. Our text is going to be, or is, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15. Our subject is a life of giving and forgiving. Living, giving, and forgiving, though the outline starts with forgiving and ends with giving, following the order of the text. And the Word of God reads, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Let us pray. Father, we commit ourselves to you as it has been prayed already by Tony and by Carlos and even by others who have prayed silently. We commit our worship to you. We pray your blessings upon the gathering, upon the singing, the praying, the reading, the explanation from Scripture. We do what we do following the instructions we have found in your word, ratified by the New Testament. We pray, Father, that this may be profitable, acceptable to you. We offer it through Christ, profitable to our souls. And above all things, that Christ may be exalted, your name magnified. And Without your Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. So we pray for the Spirit. Help us and help those who also gather in our city, in our state, in our county, Wherever they are, they gather in your name. If they are seeking Christ and seeking his glory, bless them. May your kingdom come, your glory be manifested, your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Resentment, said Nelson Mandela, it's like drinking poison then hoping that your enemy will die for it. Nelson Mandela would have lived in the days of Solomon. Those would have been one of the Proverbs in the Bible. That's me speculating, of course. But what a wise statement. Rancor, resentment, breathing bitterness, and desire for revenge is taking the daily poison in hopes that your enemy will die. Our text is sure to read. We just read it. Simple to preach. Sometimes it's challenging to preach from a simple text. Those of you who preach know that because it's, what am I going to tell them? This is what it says. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good for one another and to everyone. What do you want me to say from that? That's it. Very simple, technically, to preach. How difficult to live. Life is complex and daunting. The older we get, the more we ponder about the meaning and purpose of life. The older we get, the more we are baffled by that pursuit of happiness pursuit of significance, pursuit of validation, because we discovered that wealth 
pleasures and power do not bring any of that that we so desperately seek. Then we, in a sense, dig deeper in this ontological quest. We, we want to know what is the ultimate reality. The ultimate reality is God. Even if it's the God of Elon Musk, which is this thing that organizes everything, or if it is the God of Scripture, the only true and living God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the ultimate reality, God. And then the epistemological quest, okay, and, and how do we know God? How do we find him? How is he? You find that through two means. Creation, study creation, observe creation, and you will learn a wealth about God. Because the Bible says that his deity, his power, his being is manifested through creation. The heavens tell the glory of God. The firmament announces his handiwork. And then, of course, we know God through Christ. He said he is the only begotten God in the bosom of the Father who reveals God, who exegetes God. You want to know God, study Christ, and Christ is the subject of Scripture. Scriptures are about him and speak of his person and of his work, both in the Old and the New Testament. Then we are hit with the ethical quest. Okay, once I find that out, how does that affect my life? How does that impact me? Knowing God and knowing him through creation and through Christ, and then what? Here's one. See that no one repays another evil for evil, but always seek good to one another and to all men, to all people. And that is the meaning and purpose of life, beloved. That is what philosophers kill themselves to find out and to investigate and to exhaust. Forgiving. And that's the first point of my outline. Forgiving. See that no one repays evil for evil. It's another way to express forgiving. Remember, this is written by a Jewish rabbi converted to Christianity, Saul of Tarsus, the disciple of Gamaliel, now the Apostle Paul. And he has all this Jewish mindset when he writes, and we cannot divorce his background, his culture, his theology, his Old Testament, when he pans out the new because he's basically revealing into the new with the clarity of Christ what has already been revealed in the old. And here's his view of forgiveness. What is it to forgive? It is to not repay another evil for evil. And forgiveness is part and parcel of the gospel. Forgiveness is the core of what we believe. You have Ten seconds to speak to someone. You're falling off an earth, falling off an airplane. The plane is going to crash. You're going to die. Tell me something, you Christian. You need forgiveness. Find it in Christ. Pray to Him. 
That's the gospel. That's the core of the message. That's what the book is about. God's redemptive plan from eternity achieved and accomplished in Christ. That old title, redemption accomplished and applied. That's the gospel. And forgiveness is part and parcel of that gospel. Forgiveness has a positive element. We, we, we think of, yeah, forgiveness, the forgiveness of sins. Well, it, it, it means remission. It means canceling a debt. And when you read it in the New Testament, you find that technical sense. What it is to forgive, it is to cancel a debt. It is to write off something we owe. What else is forgiveness? It is to remove consequence. In this case, remove punishment. Remember the children's catechism, those of you who are older and raise your children, and now they're going to make you grandparents, or they have made you already grandparents, but they were little ones, and we taught them, what what about forgiveness? What about atonement? Atonement, Christ's work, removing the punishment our sins deserve. So there's this element of removing punishment, removing wrath. You've heard the technical word propitiation. Removing the wrath of God that I deserve because of my sins. And then forgiveness has this element that touches on the verse we read. It is deleting the record. Expunging the record. You have a DUI, God forbid, or you have some kind of issue with the law, and you want to work it out so that your record is expunged. When they do a background check on you, you don't want anybody finding that out or else you will not be able to land that job or it can, it's going to harm you somehow, some way. Well, forgiveness involves deleting the record. There's not going to be any recollection or any trace of the transgression committed. In our text, that forgiveness, which is part and parcel of the gospel, It is translated as a prohibition to vindictiveness, forbidding to take revenge, forbidding to pay back. And we need to get this one clear. The Bible forbids that we revenge. One thing is God's wrath, and one thing is God's vengeance, but we, if we are believers, are forbidden to take revenge. I love the way Jerry Reed phrased it. And I remember, I still remember the day he taught us that. I don't know what class he was teaching in that master's course some of us were taking. And he said, forgiveness is a decision to never bring the offense committed back into the conversation. That, that is very freeing. Because many times we believe that forgiveness has to do with feelings. But I'm hurt. I can't forget. And then comes this pious Christian saying, Oh, you must uh, forgive and forget. No. You must take a conscious, willful decision that that event is not going to be brought back into the conversation And that you will not seek to avenge yourself. That's what the text we're reading talks about. Now, 
when I understood that, I realized that I had a bigger problem. I needed forgiveness for my unforgiving heart. That's the point of forgiveness in prayer. Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus says, okay, fine. When you pray, you say this. And some people take it as a repetition, vain repetition, say three, uh, our fathers, or two, whatever. No, it's not a repetition. It is a pattern to pray. But you can say the words as long as you are using your mind as you say the words of the, of the Lord's Prayer. And one petition is, and forgive us as our debts as we forgive our debtors. Question, what exactly does that mean? Forgive us just as we are forgiving our debtors? Maybe. Why not? Forgive us as we pledge to forgive our debtors. Maybe. Why not? That's where I stop. When I go through the Lord's Prayer, I always get clogged there. My wheels, I haven't found the way to maneuver that section of the road. And I always get stuck. And my 4WD doesn't work there. And I have to stop and say, okay, Lord, let me say it this way, because I want to be honest, I'm praying to you. Please forgive me. Then, please forgive such and such and such and such and such and such, because you know I'm hurting. You know how much that hurts. You know how much my heart bleeds sometimes when I think about it. But I plead with you that you would not take into account that harm they caused to me. Please treat them as you have treated me. And then I keep going. That's the best I've been able to do. But the point being that the struggling prayer perhaps is, I cannot pay evil for evil. I want to honor you, Christ. I want to pray this prayer. I plead with you. I beseech you. Have mercy on anyone who has harmed me. I don't care what it has been. And I know some of you have been harmed and hurt in many ways. We live in a fallen world. Some of you have been abused. Some of you have been raped. Some of you have been hurled insults. Some of you have been stolen things. Some of you have suffered deceit. Whatever it is, Lord... Please forgive them, because I want you to forgive me. And that's our text, and that's the gospel. Forgiveness implies treating a person as if they had not hurt us. Forgiveness implies dealing with people who really harmed us, and who really caused us to suffer, and to this day are causing us to suffer. But when we encounter them, when we pray for them, when we deal with them, when we speak of them, we treat them as if they had not harmed us. Romans 12, 19 says, Do not revenge yourselves, but give room to the wrath of God. And if we don't get it, it adds, If your enemy is thirsty, give him a drink. And if your enemy is hungry, give him to drink. That's forgiveness. Forgiveness is not just, okay, okay, okay. You stay there and I stay here. Uh-uh. It's doing good to all people. It is not paying evil for evil, 
but paying evil with good. That's forgiveness. I'm going to make a confession. Not because I'm godly. I don't think that's my motivation. I may have other psychological problems that make me do so. But I'll give you an example. There was a person in Komatsu that made my life miserable. He was a VP. He wanted to fire me. He made my life miserable. One day we were traveling together in Panama and he belittled me at the airport. To this day I remember it. He was demoted. And now he's my co-worker. <laughs> now I have, he has to ask me for things. And there was one day he had to be in Miami and spend the day in Miami. And I said, you stay at home. And we treated him like a king. My wife was kind of, this mama, this is the gospel. I don't know if I did it for the gospel's sake. I want to be clear with you guys. Oh, what an example you are. I'm only an example of bad things. I'm only an example of God's mercy. I just wanted to get you that clear. But that's the gospel. What I wanted was to really give him a piece of my mind. Ha, you know now how it feels? No. You honor that person as if they have never harmed you. Because Jesus says, love your enemies. Sometimes you don't feel like it. Sometimes you just want to punch them in the nose. Sometimes you just want to give them a piece of your mind. But you have to say, Jesus, I really hate this, but I love you more. Because you said it. Sometimes you said it with so much anger. At least me. I'm angry. And I'm even crying. And I tell him, but I'm going to do it because I love you more. And you said it that I should do it. Love your enemies. Pray for those who hurled insults at you. Pray for them. No, yes, God, consume them. No, God bless them. Have mercy on them. Give to them more than what you have given to me. Why? Because Jesus says it. And this is either real or it is not real. This is either theories and platitudes about Calvinism and the reform phase, or this thing gets to the heart and gets to our hands and to our mouths and make us act as Jesus says we ought to. Because he says, if you love me, obey my commandments. And he says, love your enemies. Pray for them. Do good things for them. But how? Oh, look, the sun came out this morning. How many perversions were committed in Miami Beach last night? What do you think? In this sin city of Miami where we live, how many blasphemies, atrocities, drug deals, stealth, you name it, were committed just last night? The sun came out. And when it rains, it'll rain over everyone. Jesus, so that you are like your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise over righteous and unrighteous. And his reign to fall upon sinners and righteous. That's a gospel. A friend of mine who's a pastor who's writing, among other pastors, commentaries for an annotated Bible in Spanish says, or writes, are forgiving others, 
shows that we understand that God has forgiven our sins. Because we have repented. A Christian who is truly repented will be forgiven. But a person who refuses to forgive others is in open rebellion before God. Forgiveness is not a feeling. And it is not granted because it is deserved. Forgiveness is a voluntary act from someone who chooses to indemnify the person who harmed him as an act of obedience to the Lord. Those are the words of Pastor Otto Sanchez from the DR. That's forgiveness. It's a voluntary act that is not tied necessarily to feelings. If anything, it is tied to the opposite feelings of what I am doing as I am forgiving. So, how do we deal with vindictiveness? We give an advice, it's not heeded. We emit an opinion, it's not followed. We give an instruction, it's disregarded. We love, we are rejected. Don't you young people have that? You try to be nice to somebody and she's not nice to you? Okay. Next time you just go, I'm not even going to look at you. I'll tell you that I have this vindictiveness with me. Pretty women know they are pretty. You know what my thing is? Oh, you know you're pretty and you're gonna, you, you think that you're going to get my eyes? And then I just walk like if there was a wall there. But that's pride. That's not godliness. That's me just being this twisted person I am. Well, No, you love people. You love them. But how do I fight my sense of being vindictive? Be honest. Deal with the root of bitterness in your heart. Hebrews 12.15 has this command. Let no root of bitterness sprout in you. It's a commandment. It's not a feeling. You just go to your garden and start to to root out those weeds or, or you buy your weed eater at Home Depot and you spray it. The same thing with the heart. Deal with your root of bitterness. Don't let them sprout. Encourage you to look up to God. Don't look horizontal. When you look at the person, when you think on the event, look up. Go to the cross. Go to the throne of grace. Look to God. We must choose to bypass feelings and take action. It's not about sentiment. We must leave the matter with the Lord. Learn to say, Lord, please handle that. I can't. Bless the person Do all the good you have done for me. Forgive them. But please understand, I cannot handle it. It hurts. God is not not asking you to go hurt yourself. He's just telling you, forgive them. Repay evil with good. And if you cannot do anything good for them, pray for them. But as you have opportunity, do good to them. And then the second aspect of our text is giving. Forgiving and giving. And this is just living the gospel. This is preaching the gospel to ourselves and in our lives. Giving. Always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Pursue is the verb. Dioko had this friend who used to be a pastor in New Jersey and says, Hey, Michael, Michael. 
Do you ever jog? But he used to be a drug dealer, a gang guy, big guy from upstate New York. You, can, you see him, and you see this Italian guy, he says, oh my. He's, he's like Osborne, white version, right? Big dude. And I asked him once, hey, Michael, don't you like to go jogging? And he looked at me and says, my brother, I need motivation to jog. I need some blue lights behind me to run. <laughs> so, that's the meaning of Dioko. Pursue, chase, run after. Negatively, positively, be proactive, be assertive, be aggressive. In what? In doing good for one another and for all people. Passive morality is not enough. Have you heard the expression, I'm a good person? I don't do harm to anyone. I have to say it in Spanish because we Hispanics say it with this seasoning. Yo no le hago mal a nadie. <laughs> That's passive goodness. That's not what the text says. The text says, pursue actively, chase aggressively, doing good to one another. Psalm 23 has a beautiful picture of what this means. It says, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And in the house of the Lord, I will dwell forever. You know, that's exactly the meaning that God has chosen to chase us with goodness and mercy. So whenever you think about yourself, imagine that you have this platoon of blue lights chasing you with goodness and mercy from God. That's the picture of Psalm 23. And now God is saying to us, go do the same. Go chase people with goodness, with kindness, and with mercy. Be known for your... I have a friend, who, who, a doctor friend says, well, he has this problem. He suffers from megalio, megaliocardiac illness. Because he's just a giving person and he says he has a huge heart. Be that person. Be that person who is known for having a huge heart. Jesus was not passive in his goodness. Jesus pursued people with mercy. Jesus touched the leper, opened the the eyes of the blind, opened the ears of the deaf. He was active in chasing people. He was a friend of sinners. Be that person. But did you notice that the text doesn't say, always do good? I like to point those things. Because Paul could have said, and always do good. But he says, no, always seek to do good. There's a difference. And that difference is important because we cannot always do good to everyone. Some people carry the weight of the world on their shoulders. You know those, right? We have a person like that in our homes. One of our children is for sure that way. One co-worker is that way. Somebody we know, some relative, they seem to be carrying the the weight of the world. We cannot even carry our burdens well. Much less can we carry the weight of the world. So, let's get these things straight. 
You and I cannot solve everybody's problems. A note to parents with younger and little children. Don't. Stop it. Especially to mothers. Stop it. Stop what, Edwin? Stop solving your children's problems. Because the world is not going to solve it for them. Stop taking their side when they call you to the principal's office. Stop taking their side when they are at the basketball court and the coach does not give them the minutes you think they should have playing. Stop taking their side. Because their boss is not going to take their side. Nor the police officer when they overspeed. Nor life. Let them learn to cope and deal with their problems and face their consequences. Now, that aside, don't carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. If you have that sensitive, scrupulous conscience, if you have that tender-hearted nature, and, and those of you who do that is because of it, because you have a tender heart, well, stop it. Because people will take advantage of you and you cannot solve their problems anyways. Paul says, seek to do what is good. Segmentation of duties. Victor is the CFO of a company. And, and in his company and even in church, he makes sure that people have duties that are not colluding with one another. Because if they do, that opens a room for fraud or for problems. Well, when it comes to doing good, you have to have segmentation of duties. I cannot solve everybody's problems. And sometimes the greatest good you can do to a person is say, no. Oh, but can you help me with that? You have the money. No. I worked for my money. Work for yours. I'm not going to breed parasites in the name of Christianity. Sometimes you have to say no. So, seek to do Good. And the commandment addresses a disposition. And the disposition is be eager, be on the alert. It doesn't happen a lot in America, but if you remember, those of you who grew up in Latin America, there was this old lady in our neighborhoods that was always lurking from her window to see what's going on, to, be, to have the latest gossip available. Right? Some of you are laughing because you remember them. Well, that's not the way some of us grew up. There was this older lady checking who comes in and out of every house. So she's always aware of the latest news and gossip events. Well, okay, be on the alert, but to do good. You're going to be that old lady checking for opportunities to bless others. Opportunities to help others. Opportunities to do good for others. I love Proverbs 2.27-29. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. If it is not in your power to act, it's okay. It's not in your power. God knows. Can you do something about it? Then don't stop. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you. When you already have it with you, do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Do not accuse anyone for no reason when they have done you no harm. Do not envy the violent 
or choose any of their ways. For the Lord detests the perverse, but takes the upright into his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. In context, this passage comes. Remember, Paul had talked to them about eschatology. And we go like segment by segment, verse by verse, and we forget the context. And Freddie comes and preaches from Acts, and then comes Dyron and preaches from any passage he brings to the context. And then comes uh, Kirk or Troy or whomever else preaches, and we just like chop everything. But remember, this passage comes in the context of eschatology. You know what Paul is saying? God's eschatological judgment is coming, but it's not for you to advance it. And sometimes we Christians feel that we have to stop the perversion of this nation. No, that is God's job. We can speak against it. We can preach the gospel to curtail it. We can be kind and merciful so they see the difference. But it is not my job to go to an abortion clinic and kill those who practice abortion. That is sinful. It's not our call. That plain and simple. Paul is saying you do good to everyone, to one another, and to all men. Yes, but they are the perverts. Do you know the lifestyle they have? Do more good to them. Then make a point on showing the gospel to them. Or do you forget the lifestyle the Lord rescued you from? No, I was raising the gospel. That's worse. (laughs) Read the Bible and see what Jesus thought about the Pharisees. Read your gospels and check how Jesus treated the perverts versus those who were clean and nice and good. Check it out. Remember, we know God through creation and through Christ. Conclusion. (laughs) do not give power to those who hate you to continue hurting you by being bitter against them I had it rough with my father Okay, he died many years ago sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night crying over things my father did to me or to my mom but you know what he's dead Whatever God decided to do with him, I have no idea. I tried to preach the gospel to him the last day he was alive, but he rejected me. Fine. He's dead. Point is, do not give more power to those who already hurt you. Some of them are even dead. I mean, they are not dead. They are dead to you. They're not even in your life. Stop it. Why would you drink the poison and expect them to die? Leave room for the wrath of God. He will pay. It is okay to be comforted in the fact that God will avenge the saints. In Revelation 14, we find the saints who had been decapitated because of the testimony of God taking comfort in God's judgment. It's okay. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 through 9, Paul says, it is okay to be comforted in the fact that God is a righteous judge. He will deal with sin. Leave it to him. He will deal with sin. 
Our turn is to preach the gospel and avert his judgment, but provoke his mercy and his grace, just as he had it on us. You know who are the worst immigration officers at the Miami airport? According to the people I know who travel to the U.S. You will not believe this. Latinos. Nothing worse than a Latino immigration officer. The country extended to you or to your family the ability to become a citizen. Now you see a Latino trying to come in and you become this Mr. Super Righteous Defender of the United States? Dude, what's wrong with you? I'm not saying break the law, but what I'm saying is remember where you came from. Many times we Christians act like those officers. We are the recipients of God's mercy. But we are the, the league of justice. We are the vindictive, super hyper righteous of the planet. And at our office. And at our workplace. That seems to be such a contradiction. Doing good to all men is practical evangelism. You've heard the saying, speak louder. Your words do not let me hear you. If all people see from you is hatred, vindictiveness, sourness, bitterness, condemnation. There's this, this man of God that every time I see something from him is condemning someone. And then you want me to say, and, and by the way, uh, of you. What God, yours? No thanks. No thanks. Is that the God I'm portraying to people? Doing good is practical evangelism. Luke 6.38, I love that text. Give, it shall be given to you. A shaken measure, pressed down together. They will overpour it in your lap. You will not know how to take. They, they are giving you a pound of, of sugar. But, but the guy just shook it so much and, and, and was so abundant that you're carrying 10 pounds of sugar. Jesus says, if you give that way, it will be given to you that way. Because Proverbs 19, 17 says, whoever is generous to the poor, lend to the Lord. We all have that relative. He says, oh boy, I hope they don't ask me for money. But if they say, Do you, can you lend me $20 at the speed of light? You give them the 20 bucks. Why? Because they're not going to pay you and you solved your problem with 20 bucks. They're not going to come to you for 2000 But then imagine having somebody that when you lend, pays generously and abundantly and gives you five, six, seven times what you lend. That's God when you give to the poor. The poor is lending to the Lord. He will repay him for his deed. That's the heart of the gospel. Parable of two debtors. One owed 10,000 talents, the other one 300 denarii. One owed 200 years worth of salary, the other one owed a year worth of salary. One could not pay his debt, the other one probably could have paid it. What did God say to the one who was unforgiving? even when he was forgiven an unsurmountable debt, so shall my heavenly Father also do to you. He was said, you wicked servant, you could not forgive your brother. 
so shall my heavenly Father also do to you, if each of you does not forgive your brother from your heart. May the Lord help us to live the gospel in a life of giving and a life of forgiving. Amen. Father, bless your word and uh, help us to shine the light of the gospel, not just with our words, but with our lives. Help us to deal with our hurts and our pains caused by others, even as we have caused pain and hurts to others. Help us, Father, to know the mercy of Christ, to know the love of Christ which exceeds all knowledge. And may we not only be recipients, but givers and bestowers of that kindness and that love to those who surround us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.